0: Hey, good morning everybody good to see you if you're new with us thanks so much for being here my name is Dan I'm the lead pastor here and just thankful you you came this morning really am would love to get to know you more um, can't tell you guys how much uh, your encouragement and prayers for my nephew Eli have meant to my family and my brother's family the past few weeks uh, we're thankful Eli was healthy enough to begin chemo this week um, and, as many of you know though, chemo could be terrible too, so uh, we just thank you for your continued prayers and uh, and as you 're praying for us we 're like I sent an email out to the church this week we 're we're mindful of what you guys are going through as, as far as I know um, you and the different circumstances you 're in and that 's something we 're mindful also this holiday season that it 's bittersweet for many of us. We celebrate advent, we celebrate the coming of the Lord and and uh, it's a time of mourning and grieving for many of us, too. And so thank God for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, also, I wanted to thank Dylan for stepping up again on short notice and preaching again uh, last Sunday. We're blessed to have Dylan and Natalie at our church. Um, yes. And this morning, we're going we're to return to the book of Acts. And uh, just as a reminder, if you haven't been with us, Acts is a book of the New Testament. Uh, it's an ancient record that was written by a physician named Luke in the first century. And it's a record of how Jesus, after returning to heaven, um, sent the Holy Spirit of God to come to earth and the Holy Spirit came with new and unprecedented power and began to spread the news about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus like wildfire all throughout the, the Roman Empire and essentially turning the, the greatest uh, empire in the history of the world has ever known besides America um, upside down by this gospel of weakness and the message of a savior who died on a cross outside of Jerusalem. And what happened is the spirit was moving in incredible ways and he was leading thousands and thousands of people to trust and to believe in Jesus. And the church was rapidly multiplying. And at the very same time that was happening, Christians uh, were getting a lot of kickback, right? I mean, they were, they were facing terrible persecution uh, physically. There were threats. They were being threatened by the religious and the political leaders to stop preaching the gospel. Uh, they were They were martyred and killed, uh, but what we see from the historical account is that even those trials could not stop God from advancing his kingdom on earth, and we see that at first through the, the gospel message. It was, it was proclaimed mainly in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area called Judea, and it was embraced by the, many of the Jews there. And then the Gospel message spread out further, and it was then embraced by the, the half-Jewish, half-Gentile Samaritans in the, the city and region of Samaria. And then it spread out further, it was embraced by the non-Jews, the Gentiles, in the in influential cities of Caesarea on the coast, and then up uh, north in the city of Antioch. And as the church was growing quickly, This is what happened. Jesus' people, the church, quickly became the most diverse group of people on earth. Uh, The church uh, was diverse racially. It was diverse socioeconomically. It was diverse culturally. You had people worshiping together, sitting together, sitting down at dinner together that would not in any other situation be together. I mean, you had slaves sitting next to Roman generals. You had women sitting next to men. I mean, it was, it was incredible what, what the church, what was happening in the New Testament. And, uh, and what happened is many of the, the prejudices and barriers that had long kept people divided uh, were no longer important because Jesus brought them together. Jesus brought these people together as, as one new people and as essentially a family. The Apostle Paul described what was happening. He describes this Christian unity in Ephesians 4, 4 4-6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Pretty amazing. And a few weeks ago, uh, when we were reading in Acts, we saw this, this new unity play out uh, in the church. By the way, that a, a group of Christians in one region showed mercy to Christians in another region who they normally previously would not have cared about. Uh, the Gentile Christians in Antioch were led by the Holy Spirit to send money to the Jewish Christians John in Judea to help them prepare for an upcoming famine. I want to reread that real quick in Acts 11. 27 to 30. It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Well, after Barnabas and Saul delivered that offering to the brothers in Judea, their story now picks up again in Acts twelve twenty-five, and that's where we're going to be at today. So, if you got your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Acts chapter twelve, uh, sorry, verse twenty-five. Before we read, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us, Lord Jesus. We uh, we come now, uh, we continue uh, to ask for your help and to declare your praises and to exalt your name. And we need your help as we read your scripture. Holy Spirit, please use your word to teach us not just intellectual knowledge, but to teach our hearts repentance and faith in you. Please be transforming us through your word. Please help us, God, to trust you more. And please protect us from evil. We, we just thank you for who you are, for everything you've done for us, and we're just lost without you, and we need you to feed our souls now in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray that, and we also just recognize that in this room we come with a lot of different circumstances that only you really know. So we just take ask, you've appointed this word for us today, we just ask that you would use it to encourage us and to uh, help us to trust you and be transformed into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's just look first at Acts 12, 25. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So so Barnabas and Saul, they completed their service, they delivered to the brothers in Judea this offering from Antioch, and now they return to Antioch, And they bring with them Barnabas' cousin from Jerusalem named John Mark. This is the same John Mark who would go on to write the gospel according to Mark, our earliest gospel. And Barnabas and Saul have brought Mark with them to Antioch to help make more disciples of Jesus with them. And by that time in Antioch, the church was, was beginning to mature leaders in the church were being established. And when we read the names of the leaders in the Antioch church, we we get a feel for just how diverse the church really was. Acts 13, one says, "'Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets "'and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, "'Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend "'of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul.'" So in addition to Saul and Barnabas, There were these three key prophets and teachers in the Antioch church named Simeon, Lucius, and Menean. Simeon, it says, was also called Niger, which means black. So it's very likely he was of African descent. Lucius was from Cyrene, which was also a region in in North Africa. And and then we read something pretty amazing here about this guy named Menean. He was a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch. So, Herod the Tetrarch was the Herod who ruled while Jesus was alive. This was the Herod who killed John the Baptist. This was the Herod who uh, condemned Jesus to death in partnership with Pontius Pilate. And, and now you've got Herod's, one of his best friends, Menean, up here in Antioch, and they'd grown up together, but by God's grace, Menean had taken a very different path than Herod. Instead of rejecting Jesus, Menean had submitted to Jesus, and believed that he was Lord and Savior. And that and was now using his gifts, his influence, to serve the Christians in Antioch. And so between Barnabas, who was from Cyrene, and Saul, who was from Tarsus, and Simeon and Lucius from North Africa, and Menean, the friend of Herod, you got quite a leadership team here in Antioch. And, and we read that God had gifted each of these men with, with either the gift of teaching or prophecy or both. And the ministry of teaching refers to instructing people about Jesus' life and teaching and showing them how the Old Testament scriptures pointed to Jesus and were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. It's kind of what teaching ministry is. And the ministry of prophecy refers to speaking a message from God in response to the moving of the Holy Spirit. That's what That was happening in the early church. And, and the Holy Spirit had led these prophets and teachers and the rest of the church into this special time here we read of worshiping the Lord, a, a unique time in Antioch. Verse two says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we don't, it doesn't exactly say why God led the Antioch Christians to worship and to fast, but it appears that they were seeking God's guidance for the church. Uh, they, they obviously wanted to keep their eyes on the Lord. Uh, they wanted to stay dependent on the Lord. They wanted to walk in step with the Spirit. And so they were worshiping and they were fasting and they were praying together for some period of time. And then after a while, it says that the Holy Spirit answered them. He, it's, 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 very, it's interesting. It says the Holy Spirit said, quote, okay? So this is hearing very clearly from the Holy Spirit, probably through one of these prophets, say, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Now, God had brought Barnabas and Saul to Antioch a few years earlier, remember, to, to spread the gospel, to make disciples. They'd invested several years of their life uh, here in Antioch, in these Christians, and, and now God had other plans for Barnabas and Saul, and it was time for them to move on and to take the gospel to other peoples, other cities that had not yet heard about Jesus. I worked at a church uh, when I was in seminary and our lead pastor had kind of a helpful saying sometimes. He would say, uh, in the church, we must hold people with an open hand. In the church, we must hold people with an open hand. We, we thank God for, for bringing Christian friends into our lives and at the same time, we recognized, we must recognize that at some point, God may call them or us somewhere else. Right? And that's what was happening here in Antioch. Losing, think about this. Losing Barnabas and losing Saul would have been rattling for the Antioch Christians. Right? Bar, these, these were the founders, uh, the, the founding pastors. These were their lead guys. They were their spiritual fathers in a sense. And now God is calling Barnabas and Saul away from Antioch. And he's calling the Christians in Antioch to a new season of life and growth independent from Barnabas and Saul. And whenever God moves Christians in and out of our lives, it's a a reminder that uh, our hope, our faith cannot be in people, right? We thank God for the Christian mentors we have in our lives, for the friends we have in our lives, for the people he brings into our lives. But ultimately, uh, life on earth is real temporary and our hope and our faith in Jesus and Jesus says I will never leave you right that's that's what we really need and and when people transition out of our lives this is the reality you never know who God is gonna then bring into your life right maybe someone new from whom you can learn new things or somebody new whom you can now love and disciple the same way that you were loved and discipled Well, after the Lord told the Antioch church to set apart Saul and Barnabas for this new ministry, they obeyed the Lord. That's exactly what they did. Verse 3 says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So so the church did what we often do today when we're commissioning missionaries or pastors. They, They laid their hands on them as a sign of setting them apart for God. They prayed for them, and then they sent them off. Verses 4 to 5 then say, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So again, this is going to be helpful here to look at a map. So if we have that map up here. And I'll be honest, this is just another excuse for me to use my, uh, my pointer. That's really, the, that's really the only reason I'm doing this. Um, but it says, uh, okay, so here's Antioch up here. Here's Jerusalem. So this is where uh, Barnabas and Saul had gone down, taking the offering. They came back to Antioch. Now they go to Seleucia, which is the port city. They're, they catch a ship over here to, this is Cyprus, the big island out in the Mediterranean, and they start here in Salamis. Okay? It's just helpful to, I mean, these are kind of weird words, and so it's helpful to see them on a map. At least it helps me. Um, But the first thing they did when they landed there in Salamis is they, they basically just looked for the nearest synagogue, and they started preaching the gospel of Jesus there. And as we read through Acts, what we're gonna see is this kind of the pattern that Paul or Saul will follow. He he often takes the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And as you read his writing in the New Testament, you know that that's how he proclaims the gospel. In Romans 1:16, it's good news first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And that's because God first uh, made His salvation plan and His promises revealed to the Jews. And so it was fitting that Jesus's message of salvation would first be preached to the Jews. Not excluded from the Gentiles, but preached to the Jews first, um, since these promises were given to them first, and then would go to the Gentiles. And uh, the passage here doesn't say whether anyone in Salamis trusted in Jesus, just says that Saul and Barnabas and Mark did their work there. They faithfully preached the gospel there. And after they were finished, let's get that map up there, because I want to use this again. Um, They went over here, they crossed the island, Probably preaching the gospel as they went. I don't. I don't know. I haven't looked closely. I, I imagine there was an ancient road there, but they went all the way to the other side of the island now, to this town called Paphos or Paphos. And verses six to seven say this: When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So again, there's a lot of unusual names here. Let's try to break it down. Paphos is the name of the city, and Paphos was the capital of the Roman government on the island of Cyprus, okay? So that's why the proconsul lived in Paphos. The proconsul was the highest ranking official Cyprus. And the proconsul Sergius Paulus likely had a cabinet or an entourage of important people. And one of these important members of his entourage was this man named Bar Jesus, who was also called Illumis. Bar Jesus was his real name. Uh, It means son of Jesus, because his, his dad's name was probably Jesus or Yeshua. That was a common name back then. But uh, he was also called Illumis, which means magician or sorcerer, because that's what he was. Uh, Illumis was Sergius Paulus's key sorcerer, and thank goodness that's not part of our cabinet in the government today, um, but it was back then. And just like Simon, the magician, who we read about in chapter nine, uh, in chapter eight rather, Illumis basically made his living by interacting with demons for people. And so he, he probably cast spells. He, he tried to tell people their fortunes. He likely invoked demons by name and, and opened himself up to them, asked them to enter, them, uh, enter into him so that he could act as a medium for people so that they could think they're talking to their uh, deceased loved ones. And the ironic thing here about Illumis was that he was actually a Jew racially. And, and sorcery and witchcraft was strictly forbidden by God in the Old Testament, and it is in the New Testament, too. And Illumis was, was not just a sorcerer. It says he was a false prophet. He was false. He was a liar. He, he willfully put himself in the service of Satan, who is the master liar. So he was doing what Satan does. He lies. Uh, now, then you have this guy, Sergius Paulus, who, as a good Roman... Uh, it was a it was a polytheist. He believed in a lot of different gods, and he was the proconsul. And he believed in and he respected the spiritual world. And not only did he he listen to the counsel of Illumis, but also uh, when the proconsul here hears about Barnabas and Saul, uh, he he calls them to himself. It says he he wants to hear from them. Specifically, here in verse seven, it says that. He wanted to hear, quote, the word of God. He wanted to hear this gospel of Jesus that they were pro- proclaiming. And then verses 8 to 10 say, But Illumis the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Wow. So you see what's happening here? Saul or Paul is is trying to tell Sergius Paulus, because Sergius Paulus called him, he's trying to tell him about God's love and salvation in Jesus Christ. And Loomis is over here, And he keeps trying to butt into the conversation because he doesn't want Sergius to become a Christian. Besides the fact, I mean, you know, he's gonna lose his livelihood and his job if this guy becomes a Christian. But also, I mean, he's obviously got Satan in him working against this gospel proclamation. And he desperately tries to do anything he can to turn the proconsul away from Jesus. I don't know if there's a more evil thing somebody could try to do to somebody, right? It would be like being inside a burning house with a bunch of people who are trying to find the way out, and instead of leading them to the exit, you intentionally lead them away from the exit into a place they can't escape. That's evil. And so Paul tells Illumis, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now, some people, when we might read this and think, man, it doesn't seem like Paul's being very seeker sensitive here. Um, he's not being a very good witness to Illumis. Um, well, if you've read Paul's letters, or if you read them, which I encourage you to do in the New Testament, you know Paul, Paul is a very loving person. He's very pastoral, very encouraging, constantly praying for people. Uh, he's even, this is the reality. He is even patient with people who don't believe that Jesus is God. But just like Jesus, Paul will not put up with people who lead other people away from Jesus. He will not put up with people who lead other people away from Jesus. This is what Jesus said in, in Luke 17:1 1-2. Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. That's Jesus. So Paul here is just reflecting Jesus' heart for lost people when he rebukes uh, uh, or Illumis here. Verse 9 says that, that when he did this, look what it says. Paul was filled with the Spirit. So this wasn't a temper tantrum, this wasn't some some outburst in his flesh. This rebuke was (laughs) spoken from God through Paul to Illumis, a, a man who had made a living by serving Satan and his demons and who was actively leading people away from Jesus and to Satan. And so the Holy Spirit does a mighty work now through Paul. Paul tells Illumis in verse 11, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Did I remind you of anybody? (laughs) How ironic it is that the Lord uses Paul to discipline Illumis with blindness, just as the Lord had earlier blinded Paul. And just as Paul's friends had to lead him by the hand into the city of Damascus, so also Illumis now seeks out people to lead him by the hand. And how fitting, I mean really, if you see how fitting it is that this blindness happens to Illumis, who was the self-attested, all-knowing, all-seeing prophet, right? That's what prophets and sorcerers allegedly do, right? They see what is hidden and they reveal it to people. But Illumis is no true prophet and God shows that to them right here. God is so much greater. We need to know this. He is so much greater than all of the satanic prophets in the world and in an instant, this is child's play, he blinds this great and influential prophet False prophet named Illumis. His real name was Bar Jesus, son of Jesus, which has a special meaning for us, but it's obvious he was not a true son of Jesus. His dad may have been called Jesus, but not the Jesus we know and love and treasure. Paul here reveals himself to be the true prophet, the true son of the true Jesus. And honestly, when we look at this, what a m- What a merciful judgment this was, really. I mean, God could have taken Illumis' life right then and there, just like he did. I mean, he did this to self-attested Christians, (laughs) self-acclaimed Christians. I mean, he did this, think about, we just read this passage about Herod Agrippa, who wasn't a, a Christian, but he dropped Herod. He did this to Ananias and Sapphira a few chapters ago. He dropped them and so many others in the Old Testament. He just drops But God in his infinite wisdom here, he knows what's going on. He shows mercy to Illumis and he temporarily blinds him. And he he makes an example out of him to show God's power over evil. But he still allows Illumis an opportunity to repent and turn to Jesus. How gracious. (laughs) What a gracious thing to do for somebody who is just trying to turn people away from Jesus. And then after God struck Illumis with blindness, verse 12 says, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So the proconsul Sergius Paulus saw with his own eyes here, okay, the hand of the Lord blind his sorcerer, Illumis. And, And when that happened, It says Sergius Paulus believed. But notice, notice this, it wasn't the miracle that arrested his attention. It says that God basically used the miracle to break Sergius Paulus's heart open to believe the gospel. Verse 12 says this: Sergius Paulus was astonished at what? At the teaching of the Lord, at the word of the Lord, the gospel. So Sergius saw Illumis be stricken by the Lord, and at the same time, he was astonished by this good news of Jesus. The, the, the power and the judgment of the Lord was so obvious to Sergius Paulus at this point that it made the grace and salvation of the same Lord all the more astonishing. See that? What a contrast He's, he got to see firsthand. I mean, this is probably what was going through his head and his heart in that instant. You're, you're telling me that the same all-powerful God who just spanked my best sorcerer is the same God who loves me and who died on a cross? You're telling me to rescue me from sin and from eternal hell? You're, you're telling me that this Jesus of Nazareth who's crucified is, is alive still? And, and now he is inviting me out of the darkness, out of out of Illumis's world, and into the the presence of his infinite, eternal light. You're telling me this Jesus wants me in his family? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, this Jesus is God. I've seen it with my own eyes here. Obviously, he's alive. Obviously, he's powerful. So yeah, he he is my maker. I do need him to forgive me. I do need him to show me mercy. Yeah, I believe this, this word of the Lord. I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and that he is alive. He's obviously reigning in power. So Sergius Paul is trusted in Jesus because he was astonished by this great news about eternal life and salvation and mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. And this is, you guys, the same Great news about eternal life and salvation and grace and mercy in Jesus that I'm proclaiming this morning, that we're reading about in the Bible today. Turn away from wickedness and a life devoted to disobeying God and turn to Jesus. Trust in Him for forgiveness and new life, and He will save you and make you a son or daughter of God, a true Bar Jesus. Don't follow Illumis. Don't let him turn you away from Jesus. Instead, turn to Jesus and you will be a true Bar Jesus. Let me offer three important takeaways here from this passage. Rewind a little bit back to Antioch first, okay? First, we wanna have the same priorities for our church that Antioch had for its church, okay? We have no reason to think Antioch was a perfect church. But from what we've read the past few chapters, uh, Paul and and Barnabas had had set up a church with obviously uh, word-centered, spirit-fueled priorities. And so we want to have the same priorities for our church. Our church purpose statement, again, which um, you probably heard, it's printed on the front of your bulletins. It says this, Cedar Home Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered worship and community and service and multiplication. So this statement could easily have been the purpose statement for the, the Antioch church. Just as the Antioch church devoted itself to worshiping God and to praying together and fasting together, we wanna be a church devoted to worshiping God and praying and fasting together. This is how we abide in Jesus together. This is how we we keep our eyes on Jesus together as a church. And just as the Antioch church um, welcomed and integrated believers from all races and places and social classes, so also, we want to do that. We want to welcome and integrate believers into our church family and believers from all races and all uh, places and social classes. And just as we read about the Antioch Christians, that they served the body with the gifts God gave them, and, and just as they gave this generous offering to their brothers in Judea, this is what we wanna do. We wanna, be, we wanna be Christians known for our generosity and grace and mercy. We wanna use whatever God has given us to make much of Jesus. And we do that not just as individuals, but as a church family. And then just as as the Antioch church devoted itself to multiplying followers, even though it hurt them, it probably hurt to lose Barnabas and Saul, we want to be a sending church too, right? We want to be a multiplying, replicating church. God sends out all of us, right, in one sense as missionaries. We're all missionaries in our community to bring the love and good news of Jesus to our neighbors. And also, though, Lord, please raise up people in our church who feel called to be who pursue international missions full-time and, and, and pastors and evangelists, uh, full-time work in the ministry. We want to appoint leaders and, and send them off too. And so just, just like the Christians at Antioch, let's continue to be a worshiping people and a connecting people and a gracious and serving people and a multiplying and sending people. Second, uh, we... we this is what i really want you to listen to not that i want you to ignore the other stuff but this is this is uh, this is one that really hit me when i was preparing we must be vigilant about pointing others to jesus and not away from jesus and obviously none of us are perfect we're all sinners but as much as up to our in- our intentionality and our consciences and what we have, the energy God gives us, we wanna point people to Jesus. So that means we, we, we wanna show and tell people that Jesus is worthy of our everything, that he's worthy of our glory. Like more worthy than anything else. It's not just like he's one of the things that's worthy, he is the most worthy. And we wanna show and tell others that it is a pleasure to devote our time and our talents and our treasures to Jesus. This isn't like a burden that I do or like I think I'm a, I'm a good person so I, this is what I do. It's like this is a pleasure and a privilege to serve Jesus. And in today's passage, God gives a sober warning to anyone who would intentionally lead others away from Jesus. Men, Thank you for coming to church today. God has given you the responsibility and the privilege to serve your family and to protect your family and to point your spouse, your kids, and whoever else is in your household to the awesomeness and worthiness of Jesus Christ. Your spouse, your kids, anyone else in your household belong to God. God has given you temporary leadership of these people. And you must point them to God. You must point them to Jesus and to his word and to the living hope that we have in the resurrected Christ. Do not mock your wife or your kids or anyone in your family who's under your roof for praying to God for singing to God, for believing the Bible, for trusting in God, for being baptized, or for sharing Jesus with others. Do not mock them. That's God's warning. And I have no reason to think people in here do, but I know, I know. And kids, listen to this. Wives, listen to this. if your husband or the head of your household mocks you for bringing glory to Jesus they're wrong they are wrong you keep following Jesus keep following Jesus vengeance is the Lord's it's not up to us and, and you will, many of us in our households will carry that cross of suffering. That's a stern warning though that I see in this passage. Instead, what do we wanna do? This is what we wanna do. Oh, man, let us be an encouraging people who encourage kids and spouses and aunts and uncles and cousins any time we see them doing anything to bring honor and attention to Jesus Christ. Encourage it, throw the fuel on that fire. That's what we wanna do. I'm so sick, sorry, I'm so sick of hearing people make fun of the way other people sing to Jesus. God made them. Let them, if they're singing to Jesus, pat them on the back and sing with them do not make fun of people for that. God hates that. Husbands, do not mock your wives at the dinner table because they want to pray before they eat. <laughs> You're accountable to God. You're accountable to God. And we know that people and in institutions that turn people away from Jesus. This is what the Bible says they're doing. They're storing up God's wrath for themselves, which will be poured out onto them when Jesus returns. Read the book of Romans. Now, this is what's sad about what's going on in our, in our world. This, you know the majority of our nation's oldest and greatest universities, like Harvard and Yale and Princeton, we're all started for the purpose of training Christian leaders. My brother went back to Harvard like a month ago, and he was like, and some of you probably walked that campus and seen it. Look at the architecture. You walk through these buildings, glory be to God. I mean, it's written in it. But now these universities and our our, our our universities in our country and state, for the most part, have turned away from Jesus. And our young people are are being turned away, at least intellectually, from Jesus as they enter these schools. And I went to a state school, okay? So I'm not saying don't send your kids to state schools. I'm saying this is sad that this is how it is. And I'm saying that these professors and leaders of our institutions are accountable to Jesus, okay? God will not be mocked. And when Jesus returns, he's going to bring his righteous wrath with him. And that's something we should fear if we're not hiding under the wings of Jesus, okay? I mean, even our, our, church, our, our country's oldest denominations and churches are turning from God and his word in order to tell people what they want to hear instead of the truth of God's word, there are pastors and christian leaders who mock god's word who mock god's holiness who mock the death and resurrection of jesus or they think they're not mocking it by sideswiping it and saying you know i, I don't really have an opinion on that just let people make their own decision listen they're leading men and women and children away from jesus and as this is and paul doesn't mess around In his letter to the Galatians, he says, let those pastors and leaders be accursed if they don't turn to Jesus. Those are false gospels. False prophets who preach false gospels and who turn people away from Jesus, away from the true historical gospel of God will be judged by Jesus for their sin and for all the people that they've led astray. Whew, that's heavy. So don't turn the people away from Christ, right? Instead, let's point others to the grace of Jesus and let's applaud others when we see them honoring God with their lives. Man, Satan works in weird ways. Like, sometimes we can even become jealous of people who are honoring God with their lives and say, man, I wish I was like that or I get so sick of this person preaching about Jesus. It's like humble ourselves. Lord, humble us. When we look at people who are gifted in ways we aren't, you know, help us just to remember that we're, you've gifted us in ways that they're not and praise God that they're using their life for Jesus. We don't have time to fight each other, you guys. Third, today's passage reminds us that uh, we don't know how much more time we have on earth to bow to Jesus and to trust him for salvation. Um, if, If you are, oh goodness, if you are intentionally disobeying Jesus, if you're putting off a command of Jesus because you don't feel called to it yet, if you are living a double life and you know it, if you are making a practice of sinning and think that you can fool the world and God, if you're mocking God, if you're mocking people who trust in him, then with the apostle Peter, this is what we tell you. Believe in Jesus, repent from your sinful life, and be baptized in Jesus' name. That's the instructions of the New Testament to sinners whose whose hearts are convicted and broken by sin and who need a savior. Repent and be baptized. Because this is the good news. This is the good news. Jesus is gracious and merciful towards sinners. God was extremely gracious to Illumis. He gave him a chance to turn from his sin. He could have killed him on the spot. And God has been gracious to you and to me today. You know how we know that? Because we're still here. We're living. We're breathing. We're alive. And he's giving us this moment to submit to him. Turn to Jesus today, put your faith in him while you have time, and be saved from your sin. God is good and compassionate. Thank you, Lord, you're worthy of our praise. And now, for those of us who have believed and repented and who are continuing to repent every day by God's grace, what do we wanna do? We wanna worship Jesus for suffering on that cross, the wrath of God that we deserve to suffer for our sins. Let us worship Jesus for being, well, who is he right now? He is our great high priest in heaven who has robed us with his righteousness and who now beckons us to come into the throne room of God to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. That's who Jesus is for us right now. Let us thank God that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and not by our works and not even by the greatness of our faith. We're saved by Jesus through faith. He's our everything, and we have nothing without him. And this morning, we want to continue to worship God and celebrate him, celebrate this good news by taking the Lord's Supper together. And as the deacons prepare to come forward to service, I want to do this. Let's just have a, a moment of silence, just to talk to the Lord privately. If there's sin that we know to to confess that, sin that is hurting our relationship with God, to ask God for forgiveness, to express to God our repentance and faith in Him, and to turn to Him again today. Let's, Let's pray silently. Lord, we thank you for your compassion and mercy and grace. The grace that you've shown us, and we think of our loved ones, our neighbors, our nation, our world, so many people who don't know you, who need you, who are broken just like us, who need a savior. Please break into their lives with the light of your your word. Make people born again through the gospel and save your people, Lord Jesus. Thank you for using our prayers and our love and our proclamation of the gospel to serve the advancement of your kingdom and the glory of your name, Lord. Please be worshiped in our hearts and minds now as we take communion. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.